I find myself talking about it with friends and, mm. you know, it's it's quite an interesting conversation starter, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We do talk about James' sperm a lot at parties. Way, way too much. James Owers lives in Scotland with his partner, Diana. It's now, so the, <laughs> the seasons in Scotland are uh, May, it doesn't rain, but it's cold. June and July, it's moderate, but it rains. August, it just rains. And together, they're taking part in a clinical trial to test a new male birth control. This is that hormonal gel that we've talked about a few times. Once a day, you take a couple of squirts from this bottle with a pump on it, spread the gel on your shoulders, let it dry, and, well, after that, you're done. But this gel is still being studied, still in test mode, not available to the public. And because of that, James is also being monitored by a set of clinicians, evaluated to see how he responds to the gel and if there are any red flags. The, the commitment is fairly low. I need to go to the hospital about once a month for about an, you know half hour checkup and mm-hmm. take, my, um, take my blood, take a semen sample. And, and so far, James and Diana haven't had any real red flags. And yeah, so it's quite minimal. And I knew that if there are any problems, then I can kind of drop out when I, when I want. James has had essentially no side effects in his experiences so far, at least none that bother him too much. He mentioned some acne on his back, but also that it was clearing up. Together, James and Diana are leaning on this method as their only method of birth control. No condoms. Diana isn't using a method of her own right now. It's just all on James. And that's shaped how they talk about contraception. Changed it from what it used to be. Well, why don't you go first? <laughs> well, I definitely think it's made us have more conversations about it because I think the sort of standard narrative for heterosexual couples when it comes to contraception is that it's sort of the woman's duty. And that's something that I sort of took on myself without really having a conversation about it because that's quite normalized. So I was on long term hormonal contraceptive contraception before we started this trial. I was on the contraceptive implant, the, the rod. And that was just something that I sort of took care of by myself. And we would have conversations about the fact that we were using hormonal contraceptives, but that was sort of it. Mm. And now we've had lots more conversations about. Yeah. I mean, before this, we hadn't talked about very much. And to be fair, the options for men currently is woeful. Um, In as much as I could either have a vasectomy or use condoms. And the rate of success for condoms is... uh, Patchy at best. <laughs> Specifically, condoms can have a failure rate that nears fifteen percent. So basically, it, it kind of it's the, the conversation really started with um, Dina found uh, an article from the BBC saying that the, these trials were going to happen, and uh, then basically said, "Hey James, you want to put your money where your mouth is?" And, uh, <laughs> the trial is supposed to last for a little over a year for participants. They start with the suppression phase where men use the gel but they were still waiting for their sperm counts to drop. See, the way the gel works is by interrupting the signals that go from the brain to the testes and tell the testes to make new sperm. Once sperm counts drop, participants enter the efficacy phase. That's where James is now. My my sperm count dropped to zero at about six or seven weeks and has remained at zero. And basically they tell me my sperm count at every checkup. So in terms of how secure we feel Mm -hmm, it's... There is a very low chance. And uh, I mean, if we do manage to make a baby, that's going to be one hell of a Michael Phelps of a sperm (laughs) that's managed to get through there. After a year of this, where men are using the gel as their only method of contraception between the two of them, and they're being continuously monitored, they stop. 
they'll cease using the gel totally and enter the recovery phase, where the trial coordinators start watching how sperm counts come back up, showing the reversibility of the gel. And once that happens, once their sperm counts come back up and the coordinators have all their data and get what they need, the researchers go back and analyze the data, use it to build towards another trial that gets the gel closer to being on the market for the public. But for James, it's over. There's no more gel and no way for him to be the one in the room contracepting. It is quite interesting, isn't it? Because I think me and you have talked about this as well and yeah. sort of expressed as it's going quite well. We were like, oh, it's a bit of a shame that this is going to have an end point and yeah. it's not going to be available straight away. And then we'll have to have a conversation again and go back to our lack of options mm. as to how we consider contraception in the future. Because, I mean, unfortunately, when the trial ends, because of where everything is, it will be a case of me having to decide to go back onto hormonal contraception mm. or not. Or I could just become a trial junkie and move on to the next one. You know, one of the things that I think is so interesting about this trial is that everyone participating in it is in a relationship. In fact, one of the inclusion criteria reads, men must be sexually active with a female partner with whom he has been in a stable, mutually monogamous relationship for at least one year prior to screening and with whom he intends to remain in a relationship for the duration of the study. And I think that's so interesting because we're really looking at cooperation here. We're looking at men who previously didn't have a way to take part in contraception, stepping up and doing this thing with and for their partners. Partners who may have always been the one taking the birth control and shouldering that responsibility. I've been on hormonal contraceptive since I was 15, so I'm 27 now, and I came off it in May after James's sperm count had dropped to zero. I had to come off mine. And I was like, this is really strange. I wonder what I'm like without hormonal contraceptive. I've been on this the entire time. I've been an adult. And I've As a man, what Diana said is something that constantly surprises me, even though it probably shouldn't anymore. The idea that contraception is just so ingrained into being the realm of women, that it's their job and their responsibility. And lots of women only have a life that has hormonal birth control as part of it. I get that there are lots of reasons for using contraception other than preventing pregnancy and that lots of women really like their contraceptive method, seeing it as a useful tool or empowering rather than a burden. Regardless, it seems like there's this societal thing that women are the users of contraception and not men. That's really the most interesting part of this trial for me. It's totally breaking that mold. These men are using the gel, and their partners aren't on any sort of contraception. In fact, they aren't allowed to be in the trial if they are contracepting, and that makes them separated from this convention the societal assignment of who prevents pregnancy. But it does make you realise that, it, um, you know, it does, it does feel like a bit of a burden has been yeah. lifted for me because for this year, the thing that I'm getting out of this trial is that I don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. Male birth control is coming. Not today or tomorrow, mind you, but it's coming all the same. And when it does, it's going to change how people view relationships, how people think about managing family planning as a couple, and how people talk to their friends and family about it. It's, it's, it's very interesting to have these, these sorts of conversations and to, to have this sort of opened up to you. Yeah, and I think also it has the, like, you have more agency now, so you mm. have a more vested interest in these conversations, not because you're not interested in my reproductive health, but mm. because you are now more in control of your own. And today on Intended, our last episode of the season, we want to talk you through some of the conversations like what James and Diana are having. These interactions between couples and how women feel being lifted from the burden or how they're still feeling it. 
how new methods of contraception for men can change the conversation within a relationship and make men and women relate to each other more openly or honestly, how men can start to be a part of the reproductive health conversation that they've largely been left out of, willingly or not. I think it's about equality, isn't it? Yeah, to be honest. It's about equality for men to have access to something that, again, gives them agency over their reproductive health. But it's also about, like I said, removing that entire burden for women. Because times are changing. Gender norms don't mean the same thing that they used to. And maybe it's time that we stop thinking about contraception as just the responsibility of women and start thinking about it as the responsibility of a couple. About how the old ways of his thing and her thing may be outdated. And we need to talk to each other about it. I think sort of a few years ago, I, it didn't really even cross my, my mind. Like, of course, you know, if I was going out on the town, I would, I would take, some, take a condom with me. But it's not really a conversation that I, I began with um, girlfriends at the time. Because it was just kind of societally accepted that I didn't really have any you know, options there. But this is it. I mean... You know, obviously you have the choice to start these conversations without male contraceptives, but Mm. the narrative is not directed at you Mm. at the moment, Mm. which is why, like, having these conversations is important as well, because it's bringing you into the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you've been left out. (laughs) Mm. But now he's part of the conversation, and he's a part of something big. One of the first men to shoulder the family planning responsibility. And on our show today, we're going to talk with two other couples. One, like James and Diana, participating in a clinical trial for male contraception. And another, a couple looking to the future in male contraception. We're doing this to tie together our last two episodes. He said, and she said, bring it all together in We Said. More to come. Stay with us. For Male Contraceptive Initiative, This is Intended. I'm Kevin Shane. Intended is brought to you in part by YTH, an initiative of ETR. YTH is a nonprofit that's dedicated to improving the health of young people using technology. One of YTH's Youth Advisor Board members, Ivan, knows the importance of acting locally. I got involved in the mental health and sexual health field, um, and I was really interested in just seeing the ways that young people are affected all around the globe um, on these issues of male contraceptives and, and really being healthy and staying healthy. Learn more about YTH and how they're engaging the voices and power of youth to improve lives at YTH.org. Again, that's YTH.org. Okay, welcome back to Intended, where we're talking with couples, men and women, who are putting their best foot forward into this new future. We're talking with these couples about contraception and family planning and their own goals and desires in this new way that kind of reshapes who is responsible for preventing pregnancy in a relationship. And that clinical trial that James and Diane are in, who we just spoke to, it's an international trial. There's nine different sites around the world across four continents. And in the United States, one of those sites is in Seattle at the University of Washington. And that's how I got in touch with Philip and Jonay. We also come from very different backgrounds. I'm from Seattle. She's from uh, the Southeast United States, uh, Charlotte. Um, North Carolina. Philip comes from a family that he describes as progressive, West Coast. 
uh, I guess, kind of smart family that really emphasized not knocking up a girl in, uh, in high school. And he's in the same clinical trial as James from before, using that contraceptive gel on his shoulders every day. But his partner, Jonay, growing up in North Carolina. Okay, yeah, so my upbringing is a little bit different. And I think sometimes we've felt that clash, yeah. but oh, I'm also... Yeah. Like, for instance, pumpkin pie is better than sweet potato. Pumpkin, but, sweet potato like, pie is better than pumpkin but, pie. Whatever. We're not going to get into anyway. that right now. Like, I do come from a community where most of the people I know do have kids or like people I'm related to and stuff, like family members, they have kids and they're about my age, some of them even younger. And you know, family, we grew up with the idea that like family is important. And, but it's also, I've always had a very strong feeling. Family isn't only important, you know, like there are other things you want to do. You, you want to travel. Yeah. You want to take care of yourself. You want to grow and develop as a person. And Janae says that her goals, which include travel and experiences and having that ability to grow and develop, they might be in a different order than some of our other family members. It's not that she and Philip don't want kids at all but they definitely aren't looking for them right now. I think, uh, yeah, we go back and forth on it. Um, well, I'll speak to my, cause yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, so for me, I am not as much back and forth. <laughs> I, Janae wants kids, like you know, definitely, absolutely. <laughs> she said that as she's gotten older, her priorities have moved a little and they definitely aren't ready yet. But in a few years, maybe the time would be right that I used to be with. So yeah, you know, when I was young, I wanted like a bunch of kids and now I'm more so like, oh, maybe just one or two. And Philip? I think he's still on the fence. I mean, I, I, I have really great baby names. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, it would be a service uh, if I didn't have kids, but um, I definitely don't want kids like today. Yeah. This is something they've talked about. Come to the table like adults and figured out where the other's priorities lie. And that can be a hard thing in a relationship, to be honest about the things that are big, fuzzy, and still really important. Yeah, I think the good thing, though, which I am to be, I, I've always appreciated this about our relationship, because I feel like from the beginning, we've always been very open with kind of what we wanted. And we've been able to kind of talk about these things, not in a very vague way. And I think I think all couples should have this is that I think we can trust each other. Mm. Uh, I don't think having a kid would break us. And I don't think um, we'd ever worry about it. Right now, Philip is still in the first stage of the trial, waiting for his sperm counts to drop. Until then, he's going in and getting checked, and Jonay is still using her birth control, at least until they tell Philip they can rely on the gel. Yeah, we're on uh, week seven or something like that. But so far, my sperm count is still like normal. The suppression phase of the study, the first part where they're using the gel and waiting for the sperm counts to drop, it goes for a maximum of 20 weeks. If things don't work out at that point, then Philip and Janae drop from the study and it's kind of a too bad scenario. And Janae really hopes it doesn't come to that. Yeah, I do not like birth control. Like as a woman, like it affects me so much. And I think maybe even during the study or before we talked about it and I was, you know, I'm going to be excited when I can like count on my period every month <laughs> and when I can feel like, you know, my feelings are my own and they aren't brought on by like some hormone or something. So I'm really excited for like this to get going. <laughs> 
One of the things that they both talked about here was their dissatisfaction with what's out there today. Condoms, pills, implants, so on. Neither of them liked anything that they've used before, either independently or as a couple. And the lack of options that really spoke to them? Philip feels it's rooted in this big systemic inequity. I think, I think um, it's because society sort of, well, male-run society is sort of, you know, comfortable with the way it is. Most of the responsibility is put on the shoulders of women to take, you know, the nine or 10 or 100 varieties of birth control that they have available to them, all of which are, you know, have their own negatives. Um, and men uh, wear condoms if they hook up with a girl in a bar. The lack of options has created a gendered world where men don't have a lot of contraceptive choice, so they're largely left out of the equation. And because society is, for the most part, dominated by uh, male thinking, I think we haven't really cared enough as a whole, I mean, um, to really progress in this field. Because so far, you know, if, it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But the reality is that it is broke. Jonay matched some of this. Yeah, I, I agree with that. He said it a lot nicer than me. <laughs> I was just going to say that, like, I think it's that sometimes, even though we are like a male dominated society, I feel like they sometimes treat men as if they can't do things. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that a man would need to be responsible for, you know, doing anything more than putting on a condom, <laughs> like, I think that they, I think that's what it is. It's that people don't think that men could be responsible enough to do it. And it's very silly. Like, yeah. that is ridiculous. And this comes back around to something we've talked about before in other episodes the trust thing. Would you trust your partner to take male birth control, even if you were the one that got pregnant? It's a real question. Most of the data out there says that yes, people in long-term relationships would absolutely trust their partner in the same way that they trust them to pay the mortgage or feed the dog or take out the trash. And people in new relationships or non-monogamous relationships probably should rely on their own birth control methods. But still, there's this trope that plays into gender norms, that men are out there in the public sphere getting deals done and being authoritative and bringing home the bread. But when they come home to the private sphere, They're pretty much incompetent at domestic life, the duties that are often ascribed to women. Well, you see it in television shows like sitcoms. You see like uh, the lovable oaf or the adorable doofus, the husband who like he brings home the bacon, um, but he's not responsible enough to do anything more than that. He can't raise children. Apparently, Uh, he sits on the tele. He sits on the couch watching television all day. I mean, would you trust Al Bundy? the dad from Married with Children, to rub a gel on his shoulders every day or take a birth control pill? Of course not. Al is a lazy, bumbling misanthrope who can't even brush his teeth, much less be relied upon in the private realm. But also, Al Bundy is a character from what, 20, 30 years ago? That's a long time when we're thinking about how gender norms have changed and what more modern relationships look like. I think it would be a very dated concept to come out with a show like Roseanne, where uh, John Goodman is portrayed as a a well-intentioned but idiotic husband. I think nowadays men are represented more as just humans and women are the same. Uh, There there are still problems with the way uh, society conveys men and women uh, as people, but it used to be that There were gender roles, and they were very hard gender roles with clear-cut definitions. Uh, And when you break them, 
you get odd looks. Mm -hmm. And I think nowadays it's completely normal for men to take care of the kids and for women to have careers. And it's completely normal for uh, people to hold off on having kids. And it's normal to, it's normal to basically do anything. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to be weird, I think. <laughs> like James and Diana, Philip and Janae are in their late 20s, and they don't necessarily have the same views on having children and families as their parents did. They're looking for ways to be equally invested in a relationship and share in the duties that come with it, contraception included. Lots of couples around their age are finding themselves in the same place, in a relationship, but not yet ready for kids. They've got goals around how or if they want to build a family, but they don't feel like they have the tools to make that happen. You know what I think has changed also? I think people, I know especially for women, now they feel like, you know what, we don't have to have a kid if we don't want to. You know, uh, I think like before a lot of people, a lot of women just felt like, well, you know, that's my job to get pregnant or, you know, like I'm going to get pregnant. Like that's kind of like the inevitable thing that's going to happen. And so I think there wasn't as much concern or like planning. But now like a lot of women are deciding, you know, hey, I don't want to have kids or I want to have kids later in life. And I don't I don't want to, you know, have this kind of stop me right now. And I think that kind of empowerment has been really good for relationships and especially women. So the door has been opened. The lines are a little blurrier on who takes on what roles in a relationship. And fundamentally, that means that men and women can be a little more honest with each other and communicate so that they can find the best path forward together. But unless you're in a clinical trial, your contraceptive options are still limited to condoms and vasectomies. And let's be real here. The world very much still sees birth control as the realm of women. For now, this couple, Philip and Janae, are both contracepting. Philip's sperm count hasn't dropped quite all the way yet, and it means that they really are doing this together for the time being. Sharing the load, independently, but together at the same time. Yeah, you can both be responsible for yourself. Yeah, which is, I think, <laughs> sort of the definition of being an independent human being yeah. is, is being able to depend on yourself and being responsible for yourself and your actions. Yeah. So I, I think it's good that men are being um, uh, included in this, in this uh, evolution. Assuming Philip enters the second phase of the study, that his sperm counts drop, he and Janae will rely on it for a year. And then it's back to the status quo back to whatever they were using before and trying to make it work until something better hits the market, however long that might be. I just, I hope that that period isn't very long because I know, I've decided that if this drug hits the market uh, and you can just buy it at Walgreens, that that's what I'll do. And even though this is temporary and it's going to be years before something new comes out, Janae and Philip know that they're part of a bigger picture. I mean, even though I'm aware that I am going to have to go back. I'm probably right now, I'm not going to be sad about it. Um, probably after I've gone through the, um, I guess, efficacy phase where I'm off my birth control and I feel better, then, you know, the thought of going back is like, uh. but, um, you know, it's going to be something I think that will definitely help us even later in life, you know, even, um, after we've decided to have our two little munchkins, we can start using male contraceptives. So I'm hopeful about the future.
Just a quick note here. Right after our conversation, Philip sent me a note saying that he got the all-clear to move into the second phase of the study. He and Janae started using the gel as their only method of contraception and are in the efficacy phase of the study for the next year. Coming up, we'll talk to one more couple. And while they aren't in a clinical trial or anything like that, they're struggling with lots of the same questions everyone else is. When to have kids, if to have kids, and this couple is moving into that in-between phase. That phase where having a kid isn't totally out of the question, but it doesn't quite feel like the right time yet. We'll talk with them, how they're managing it, and regular listeners will probably recognize one of the people in this couple. Stay with us. This is Intended. Support for Intended is provided by Male Contraceptive Initiative, a 501c3 nonprofit that advances the research and development of new methods of male contraception. We support male birth control because it's our responsibility too. You know, the, what is it to be a man? What is it to be a woman? What are the role? What, what are your responsibilities? All that are changing. And for, my, for example, I love to cook, which was considered like a female thing. But I know that I cook for all my friends. I'm like kind of the mama for them. And I love it. And uh, the thing is that, you know, the role of men or female are changing. For example, a bit more open-minded, I would say in thinking that male, uh, that uh, contraception is not a female duty only. Because it takes two. Information, FAQs, and more at malecontraceptive.org. Again, that's malecontraceptive.org. Okay, welcome back to Intended. I'm today's host, Kevin Shane. And today we've been talking with couples taking the he said, she said from the last two episodes and turning it into we said. Talking about shared goals, about how contraception and reproductive health and all the things around them can be a collaborative experience. The last two couples, James and Diana from Scotland and Philip and Janae from Seattle, they're in a clinical trial that's testing a daily hormonal gel for men, where the man is contracepting and being the one preventing pregnancy. Both couples talked about their goals, how they might or do want children one day, but definitely not right now. But there's a gray zone, a part of time where you've left the definitely not now stage, but you're not yet in the yes, now is a good time stage. Lots of couples get caught there, where the details of when and how aren't decided yet. Maybe soon, probably eventually, but definitely not right now. And that's where our third couple is. Right. As, as a couple, so we're, we're into our 30s now, right? And so we're sort of like starting to think through this transition, right? You might recognize this voice. This is Will Skinner, and he's been in two other episodes of Intended. One, where he showed us his lab at UC Berkeley, where he studies sperm motility. Um, and so we have these donors, and they come in, they're anonymized, and they drop samples for us, like, in the, in the you know, envelopes over there. He's a graduate student who's trying to shut down sperm's ability to swim. We also had him on our episode, He Said where he talked about the social impact of a male contraceptive and why he's really focused his career on making a new method of male contraception. His partner, Katie, also has a job where she deals with contraception. I'm a sex educator, so I talk about bodies all day. And now we're starting to uh, sort of transition to this period where like kids are no longer out of the question and what's, you know, what is the sort of transitional contraceptive options that we have Mm-hmm. Um, as we transition into like being ready to have a kid. Katie and Will live in the Bay Area together and are thinking about having children. 
Katie has always been the one contracepting in their relationship, although she uses an IUD and has had a challenging experience with it. Um, is it cool if I talk? Yeah, 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 Great. So, like, Katie's been on IUD for um, seven, many, years. seven years, and the process of having the IUD, has, getting it out, has been uh, challenging, to say the least. You know, I'm a I'm a huge proponent of IUDs. I think you know they're they're the most effective method out there right now, um, and they're great for like younger um, people with uteruses. But there are some really real downsides to them. In her role as a sex educator, Katie tries not to focus on the negatives for any specific contraceptive method. But at the same time, everything has its pros and cons. Um, but like from personal experience, like. There have been downsides to every method of contraception I've ever used. Her IUD experience has been pretty unpleasant. She had some complications that have made it really difficult to get the device extracted. It's worked for her the whole time, but she's nearing the expiration date, where doctors say that she shouldn't rely on it to be as effective as it's always been. And that means it's time for removal. She's gone through three procedures already to try and extract her IUD, but all of them were unsuccessful. And it's excruciating and like I have a great partner who's like been to all of these appointments with me and like holds my hand and one of the ways that he first got the idea of male contraception was like watching me suffer through this like attempted IUD Mm -hmm. extraction and being like man like I wish I could take birth control or have something that like so you wouldn't have to go through this. Will and Katie are having to rethink their contraception. Another IUD would be a long-term commitment not something you want to do often even if you haven't had the bad experiences Katie has. Now I really don't want to get another one. Like, even if we weren't, like, thinking about having a baby in the next couple of years, I feel like just the process has been a really big turnoff, and it sucks because they are so effective. And that long-term effectiveness is great, especially for users who might be younger and definitely not interested in having kids in the immediate future. Will also has frustrations with his contraceptive method. Yeah, and, and like... You know, I remember, I remember so much as, you know, going through all those different stages as a young man of like, you know, relying on condoms and having that, those have all their downsides too, and having failures and scares and, um, you know, that now seems like a distant memory, but it's, it was a, it was a really big, real long part of my life. As he's gotten older, his reasons for wanting to use birth control have changed. I, I always think of like, you know, when I was younger, I wish I had control over it for my own personal reasons, you know, um, now I wish I had an option that could have Katie not have to worry about it at all. And he thinks that's a common mindset that younger couples can do things together until they agree together that maybe one of them can do it. Um, you know, I, I sort of always pitch this as like, you know, younger couples like often will want to have both parties on their own independent methods. Um, I think we're in a place where, you know, we feel like only one of us would have to use something. And I would like gladly shoulder that if I could. And not many couples think about the differences in the reproductive burden like they do. Yeah. You know, I think that a lot of people focus a lot on how like um, women and people with uteruses like bear the brunt of like the burden during pregnancy. Um and how stressful that is. And I feel like a lot of male partners will comment how like when they're when their spouse is pregnant, like, oh my gosh, I wish I could be like carrying some mm-hmm. of this. Like it's so hard on your body. But I don't think we talk that much about how 
you know, contraception also affects people's bodies and brains. Together, they're pretty familiar with contraception, talking about it and being open. What was your first, um, what was, I've never asked some of these questions. What was your like first experience of accessing birth control? Like? I mean, I was also incredibly lucky because my mom, both my parents are like super feminist, like pretty sex positive. When I had like my first boyfriend in high school, I wasn't even sexually active with him. My mom sat me down and was like, do you want to go on birth control? And I was like, mom, stop. Stop. I hate you. You know, but like, then I knew that when I did want to go on birth control, I would just go ask her. And I did. And she was like, yeah, great. Sure. You know, and she took me to the doctor. And it wasn't something that I had to sneak around about or... Did you choose a pill at first? Yeah, I was on the pill when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, like, we were super paranoid and, like, also used condoms and also used spermicide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean... And I still would get nervous. And, like, if my period was a day late, I'd be like, oh, my God, like, I'm so stressed out. When Will was younger, he didn't have a lot of options and was thinking of protecting himself, making sure that he was being responsible. Now his life has changed, and he and Katie have been using a different approach, one where Katie has taken on the contracepting in the relationship. They're part of a large percentage of relationships who rely on a female-led birth control method, and that means that the success of a male birth control is going to take a big change, not only in getting a new option to market, but in mindsets as well. There's also, right, you're also going to be battling on the other end, like. Um, patriarchal and like macho culture that's like the pill for men like ew like that's something feminine in a lot of our culture like young men are taught that like to engage with anything feminine is emasculating and um therefore bad that's why like every soap brand has like you know blue and black soap bottles for men, right? Because, like, you have to, like, make it feel manly or people don't want it. Mm -hmm. But Katie and Will both see this in a way that frames things around reproductive autonomy, around both the man and woman having the freedom to control when and how they individually can reproduce. I feel like the reproductive justice movement is about, like, everybody having reproductive autonomy. If you want to have 12 children, like, that is your prerogative, and, like, you should be supported in that. If you never want to have a child, you should also be supported in that and anywhere in between. And I feel like for good reason, that conversation has focused mostly on women, like up through now historically. But I think we're entering a space where like it really is a concern of everyone. And if we want more gender equality, it needs to be a concern of everyone. Will was talking about his motivation for working in male contraception, and he brought up long-term goals, big goals, goals like getting gay marriage legalized. How often these things take years of concentrated effort across a bunch of very different organized groups, a lucky moment, and how sometimes they could be toppled at the last minute by a bad faith actor or prejudice or simply a change in priorities. And he thought about male birth control as like this big goal that can impact a lot of areas that he thinks can better the world. Areas like climate change and income inequity. He found a way to be a part of it by taking a stand in a technical area so that he could help that big change happen, but using a technical approach, solving problems that aren't so ambiguous. I've sort of decided to focus my life here because I feel like um, I would rather go up against a technical challenge, one that like 
you know, you can leverage um, smarts and effort to make like tangible progress rather than a political challenge, which often can just be so amorphous and people spend uh, decades thinking they're making progress and then suddenly attitudes or politics or administration shift. Um, this is something I feel like once we get over those hurdles and the hurdles are large, um, but once it's out there, it can never be taken away. And Katie sees an opportunity in education in getting both men and women to see their relationship with contraception differently, teach them that it should be a shared responsibility and that women shouldn't feel that they are the ones that have to shoulder the load. Never occurred to me that I could like be angry. I could like be angry at Mm-hmm. you know, society or whatever for like not developing this option. Like it just never occurred to me until Will started doing this work. And I was already like, I've been a sex educator for 10 years and it never occurred to me um, because it's just so deeply ingrained, but like it's your body that will get pregnant. It's your problem. Deal with it. And there are lots of reasons why women are usually the ones doing the contracepting in a relationship. Some of them have to do more with health rather than pregnancy prevention, and some are more nuanced and unique to the relationship. But there is a bigger question we should think about. Who actually should be responsible for contraception? In a relationship? Outside of one? To date, society has dictated that women should be the sole bearer of that load, much to Katie's chagrin. Because women can get pregnant, women are therefore um, responsible for managing any reproductive consequences that might befall them. And if women are choosing to be sexually active, then like they should bear the brunt of, you know, inconveniences that brings. But both Will and Katie think that male birth control can change how we see relationships, how we talk about contraception, how we view really big goals like climate change and gender norms, and that it's a smart way of impacting a whole bunch of these goals at once. But it won't be easy. It'll take a group of people working together, each doing a job in concert to bring a male birth control to market. You know, I'm going to work on chipping away at the sperm science problems. You know, Katie's going to work on chipping away at the education problems. And we're all going to together with a thousand other people, you know, maybe, uh, maybe this thing might be possible sometime soon. But male contraception is on the rise. There's been scientific advances like the clinical trials of hormonal birth control, medical devices that act like reversible vasectomy, and eventually there will be non-hormonal methods too. There's been news articles, think pieces, and places bringing it to attention. And most importantly, people are starting to ask, isn't it about time? When I talk to folks, young folks, 80% of people get it. Like 80% of women that I talk to especially are like, yes, please. Hurry up. Yeah. Over half of men are interested in new male contraceptives, and this interest grows every day. Men who want to help their partners, or want reproductive autonomy, or want to take responsibility in a way they haven't been able to do before. Men like James, Philip, and Will are out there, as are women like Diana, Jonay, and Katie, who see an option like this working for their relationships, an option that adds to their contraceptive mix, but this time includes the male partner. Male contraception can make a positive impact across big systemic problems. Problems like poverty, education, gender equality, climate change, and more. And it can do this by just offering one option, one that fits between condoms and vasectomy. 
It's all about giving people more choices. And a new male birth control would address the gap that has existed for over half a century and persists today. A market gap where nearly 4 billion men don't have something reversible that isn't a condom despite existing and growing demand for them. Listen, it isn't going to be easy. Getting a new drug to market can cost over a billion dollars when it's all said and done. And there hasn't been a male contraceptive make it to market yet. So nobody really knows just how difficult it might get. But the people that are involved in this see what they're doing and how it can really be the next big moment. People from academia and industry, startups and spinoffs are all working together in collaboration to bring the first male birth control all the way to the public. They kind of have to. This has always been a small field and things have been tight, but increased attention has led to more funding and interest and we're closer to a male birth control than we've ever been. Even though male birth control has been 10 years away for the last 50 years, optimism abounds. The men and women who want these methods are coming at this conversation together, collaboratively, just like the people behind the scenes, and talking about how contraception can be a joint responsibility and how family planning can include men as well. Because, as the idiom goes, it takes two to tango. So I guess this is where we leave intended, with an intention. All the people that we featured on this show and others intend to make a male birth control, or intend to promote it, or use it, or educate people about it. And together, their intention is to change the world, or at least give this thing the best chance it has to succeed. They want to change the world on some level that's big and opaque, but full of potential. And we're right there with them, hoping to contribute in our own small way, just hopefully sooner rather than later. So here we are, at the last episode of what we're calling Intended's Season 1. We're already thinking about Season 2 and how we can cover things that we couldn't fit into this season. Things like the importance of younger users' opinions. Not even millennials, but Gen Zers. Users who will be in Will and Katie's position in 10 years about how long it'll be until male birth control comes to market. They're going to be the ones using these methods, and they have very different opinions and attitudes towards contraception than other cohorts. We'll also talk about the trust issue from other viewpoints and see how male contraceptives can think about inclusivity. We've got full-length interviews with people in the series, as well as others that we're going to go through and bring you even more of the thought leaders on a topic that we think never stops being fascinating. So more to come on that. And please stay tuned. Special thanks for this episode, nay, series, goes out to Catherine Carpenter and the MCI Board of Directors. Additional thanks to the Contraceptive Clinical Trials Network, Stephanie Page, Susan Rich, and of course, an extra special thanks to James, Diana, Jonay, Philip, Katie, and Will. Music from Blue Dot Sessions. Intended is written and produced by myself and Logan Nichols out of the offices of Male Contraceptive Initiative in Durham, North Carolina. Heather Vidat is our Executive Director. I'm Kevin Shane. Intended is a project of Male Contraceptive Initiative, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to advancing the development of reversible, non-hormonal contraceptive options for men. For more information or to donate to our cause, visit malecontraceptive.org. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and other social networks by searching Male Contraceptive. If you like Intended, tell your friends about us. Leave us a review on iTunes. Share us on social media. All of it. We'd love to hear what you think. If you aren't already subscribed, make sure to do so, and we'll show up in your feed when the new episodes drop. Finally, a special thanks to you, our listeners. 
Without you, your support, or voices, this wouldn't have been possible. We're grateful and thrilled to be with you as we do this challenging, fun, beautifully weird work. Thanks for listening. And now, for something completely different. Oh, boy. 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 From no... Oh, my God. From Nogan Nichols, I was about to say. Seen... Uh, beep, beep, beep.